blocking. Deep pattern downfield. Touchdown, Miami. What a throw. Devontae Parker. Holy smokes. What a drive. What's up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, it's a preview Thursday edition of the Drive Time Podcast. We'll examine Sunday's matchup with the Houston Texans position by position, tell you about some tendencies and keys to the game. The Dolphins will win if, the Houston Texans will win if. We'll show you the three keys. We'll pick Thursday night's game and go in-depth on Miami versus Houston on Sunday from Hard Rock Stadium. All of that and more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is... The Drive Time Podcast. Before we dive in off the top here with the preview, I just want to let you guys know I'm not going to cover the Greer and Flores pressers from Wednesday outside of some of the football commentary here, maybe the coach made, but you can find those in their entirety on the team's YouTube channel. Busy morning on Wednesday at Baptist Health Training Complex and Sunday across the street, there's a football game. I don't know about you guys, but I can't wait. I, I always... Sunday's the sanctuary away from all the other drama and media attention that goes around the stuff outside of the actual game of football. And I like to keep the main thing, the main thing. And anytime there's a game, that's the main thing for me. And this podcast is all about football. So let's dive into the Houston Texans here. We start these pods with a little bit of recent history on the opposition. And most of you are probably pretty well versed with the Texans and the way they have gone the last few years, the way you would be a divisional opponent, because well, we've been tracking those draft picks for a couple of years, haven't we? And it was ups and downs at time, no more fun than in 2020, kind of tracking their weekly progress and in that 2020 draft, or I guess the 2020 season for the 2021 draft, which helped produce a draft pick that Miami turned into an addition, additional first rounder in 2023 and Jalen Waddell onto their current roster. So with Houston, I mean, they were recently an annual division champion. Winners of the AFC South four out of five times under the Bill O'Brien era, and that stretched as far as a 24-point lead in the 2019 Divisional Playoffs before Patrick Mahomes went Patrick Mahomes on them. But that was the peak of that run among four division championships and a couple of playoff wins here and there, including one with Brock Osweiler at the helm that later resulted in a loss to Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. But they've not had a lot of draft picks to restock their cupboards after really a handful of those prominent Houston Texans that were parts of those division championships departed the franchise. And that was a roster for a long time that was really loaded up top. But when they started getting injuries to guys like J.J. Watt or Whitney Merciless or Bernardrick McKinney or whatever the case may have been, that was difficult for them to rebound from that. And then, of course, now Deshaun Watson, the recent quarterback there in Houston, not so much this year as he has not played a game. But J.J. Watt, DeAndre Hopkins, Bernardrick McKinney, a significant portion of that core that really led them to those division titles are no longer there as they look to rebuild the roster now as they kind of start to get their draft picks back, right? Last year was the last year as far as their picks coming this way, and they spent some picks otherwise on like a David Johnson trade, for instance. So starting to get a chance to get back into the draft here in the future. They've got a interesting constructed football team because of a very crazy offseason where they signed something like 27 free agents I think it was and the majority of those were one-year deals to veterans that I, I stopgap is probably the wrong word but guys that you just didn't expect to have 
a long-term outlook with the club, especially not all 27 of the guys. That's just never how it works. But they had to fill out that roster, right? They, they didn't have the draft picks. They didn't have the means to fill the roster out that way. So they had to get someone in there to play football. So as they transition in a year where their previous starting quarterback has been inactive all season and the number two quarterback has been injured since week two, it's been the Davis Mills show, who was their first draft pick back in April in the third round. And that's where we start here. The Houston quarterback versus the Miami Dolphins safeties. And admittedly, my exposure to Mills in the pre-draft run-up was pretty limited. I really only did workups on those top five guys, but so far through seven games and six starts as a pro, seven touchdowns, eight picks, 67% completion rate, 6.5 yards per attempt, 20 sacks taken for 130 yards of lost yardage, and a net 535 net yard passing attempt figure, along with an 80.2 passer rating and a 29.2 quarterback rating. And going back over the tape, The New England game was his best so far. And in that contest, I thought he did a good job of taking what was offered to him as far as the defensive structure. It was a lot of coverage and clamping in the red zone for the Patriots, but he did throw three touchdowns and 312 yards in that game. And he was blitzed only seven times and completed four of six passes for 29 yards against the blitz. But he was under pressure on seven dropbacks, only completing one of four passes, taking three sacks for three yards of positive yards in the pass completion. He was kept clean in that game, 20 for 25 with 309 yards and three touchdown passes on non-pressure dropbacks. But he did take advantage of the opportunities he had in the vertical game, hitting three of five passes in the 20-plus yard air yard range for 144 yards and two scores. Now, that was the one game I pointed to because we know the Patriots and Dolphins have somewhat similar defensive styles as far as man coverage, some of the games up front, and playing more of a bend-but-don't-break style, which has become more commonplace across the National Football League. But that was that game I wanted to focus on because on the season, he's had some ups and downs against the Blitz, which is expected for any rookie quarterback. 70% completion is great. 6.2 yards per attempt is not terrible against the Blitz because the ball comes out of your hands quickly, right? And then it's kind of incumbent on the receivers to make plays at that point after the catch. No touchdowns and two picks. However, when not blitzed, six interceptions. So maybe that was the idea where to play that kind of seven-man coverage and don't send extra bodies and sacrifice from the back end to get pressure on the front end because you can make plays when there is just no pressure on the quarterback. And one thing I think the Dolphins need to get back to defensively is those big plays, sacks and takeaways. It's been a bit of a departure from what it was last year. And with Mills in the lineup, 12% of their plays have resulted in a sack or a pick. So they need to keep that trend rolling here for Miami. And it starts in some ways with the content we focused on yesterday, right? Those Dolphins safeties, Javon Holland and Brandon Jones. And Miami's ability to get flexible with those two young safeties, I think, could come into play here. We've seen them down around the line of scrimmage, either one of them. I'll be really curious to see the plan for the Dolphins here. Do you want to force the issue and attack Mills? And I keep kind of thinking about that Rams game last year where they would pressure him with, with you know, the boot action, shutting that thing down, bringing blitzes up the middle, forcing those quick throws into zero coverage, and it would cause some tip balls, some batted, the, getting his arm hit when he went to throw the football, which caused a pick against, uh, or the Eric Rowe picked off in that game. Do you do that or do you sit back and stay patient and let those opportunities come to you? With regards to the Patriots and the limited blitzing action, they're actually below the league median in blitz rate, 23.1%, while Miami is third most at 33.6%. So an interesting dichotomy there. And I think maybe, maybe that was more 
indicative of the Patriots' plan this year on defense opposed to that specific game plan. That's where we watch the games, though, right? We're going to find out about how Miami wants to approach this thing. And Davis Mills, and this is why I tend to favor the blitzing action a little more, he's just not going to scramble a whole lot. In fact, he has only two scramble runs all season long. He's played seven games, two scramble runs. Tua does that pretty much every single week. It's, you know, not to say one's better than the other, but it's just an interesting comparison. So if you can get him off the spot, that's where some of those forced errors or big play creation can come from, I think. And if you can do it with winning with four-man pressure, fantastic. But if you have to bring extra guys and play that blanket coverage in the back end, I'm good with that too. But how about his options in the passing game? Before we get to that first, let's go ahead and talk about the fact that Tyrod Taylor has a chance to return this week. And if he does, well, he's a completely different quarterback than what Davis Mills is. He's one of the best creators there is out there in the game right now and would certainly change the entire dynamic of that game. Taylor scares me a little bit. But back to the weapons, Houston receivers and tight ends versus Dolphins cornerbacks. We touched on the potential presence of safeties in the box or up on the line. And check out these splits for a second. Jordan Akins was a tight end from UCF a couple years back. Noah, you know you're going to like that. He has the second most pass targets on the team with 24 pass targets. That's one better than David Johnson, five more than Nico Collins, the rookie out of Michigan. And that trend continues on down to Pharaoh Brown, fellow tight end, Danny Amendola, we remember him, Chris Conley, Chris Moore, Anthony Miller. But who's atop that list? There's a, we're going in, in a direction with this. Brandon Cooks has 69. Nice. He's the go-to guy without a doubt in the offense. So what's their focus going to be? Which means it's probably going to be Brandon Cooks, right? And that means that has to be the defense's focus too, right? You, that's kind of how the math works there. But real quick, back to the tight end position. Akins is a big body post-up type of tight end with some athletic ability who can flex out. So it's Eric Rose matchup maybe, or is there some more Holland and Jones on him? Maybe some more backer coverage. I'll be keeping an eye on that because you can't let him go off either. But back to Cooks, that's the, the start and, and finish really with this Houston Texans offense as far as where the football goes to. We saw Miami kind of alternate their double teams last week between Diggs and Sanders and sometimes even inside with Cole Beasley and we talked about how the times that he was left one-on-one he made most the most of it it might be a little more clear here with regards to the guy you cap and funnel because the targets tell you Brandon Cooks is where the football goes and he's one of the best route runners in the entire game his career is kind of an enigma to me I mean he's incredibly quick and decisive he knows how to set defensive backs up and attack blind spots with leverage advantages I was a huge fan of his game coming out of Oregon State and he really blew me away at this senior bowl as well but he can run by you and make tough catches just a combination of everything that you want from the position he really encompasses all of it and the reason his career is an enigma is because he's always been that good to me and he's played for so many teams like it's just one of those unusual situations where a guy despite high level production has found his way out of a couple of cities with different teams but He's a 71-21% split as far as outside and slot goes. So three-fourths and about a quarter of the time in the slot. I should say three-fourths out wide, one quarter in the slot. And that gives you obviously 8% left over. But zero of that is in line in those nasty splits. So where does it come from? Well, the backfield. So keep your eye on Brandon Cooks. They're going to manufacture receptions for him behind the line on the screen game. So it's imperative to tackle well on the perimeter and continue to show the exemplary effort we've had on screens with not just the cornerbacks fighting through blocks, but the defensive line retracing those things and making big plays for you out wide when the cornerbacks can force the receiver to bubble on those screens. I thought Miami really handled it well last week in that regard, so doing it again and tackling well could be a big key in this game. 
And you see that manufactured reception idea on display with his catch rate. Dude's got 51 grabs this year for a 73% catch rate. Those are good numbers. 8.4 yards per target's a good number. 11.5 yards per catch, not like blowing you away, but it's still a decent number. On 20 plus yard throws of, of intended air yards, he's caught four of nine. So that's that's a pretty efficient downfield striking there with Brandon Cooks. In the intermediate range though, 13 of 17. So very efficient. He makes the most of that high number of targets. Six catches behind the line on six targets and 27 of 33 in the zero to nine range. Two of the passes for Cooks this year have been picked off. So kind of goes back to my thought there about Xavier Howard and putting him on the most targeted player because it gives you more chances at interceptions. But I kind of feel a different way about this this week. And I'll tell you why here in just one second. Something else Houston does a good job with is getting him matchups on non-cornerbacks. He had three receptions last week against safeties and linebackers, and that's kind of a weekly thing for him. So Miami will have to make the choice between zoning it up, which can create those matchups, and playing more man, which basically, you know, just check him with one of your best corners, or do you double him with other players? Options exist here when you have a kind of one-player heavy oriented offense, but I would think you want to focus on the guy that has triple the targets of the number two passing option. So for me, I, I like that idea of, you know, Needham or Coleman with with a cap on top, like a safety, maybe you're in big nickel there, or a linebacker, just finding a way to force him to have to beat two guys to beat you because the other guys in the receiving core, it's it, they kind of spread it all over the place, and the, the situation is the same at running back and tight end too. It's, it's a very unique, interesting offense as far as the distribution goes. Chris Conley's one of the guys that gets targets, but he's one of these more kind of athletic and fast guys. We heard a bunch of the defenders on Wednesday's media availability talk about the speed this Texans offense has, which has really increased this year compared to last season. But Chris Conley's one of those guys. And you guys know I typically feel like with Con- with a player like Conley's physical makeup that Byron Jones is, to me, well, I mean, it's not a, to me. It's just a fact. Athletically, testing-wise, change of direction, all that fun stuff. That's really his bread and butter. So I kind of like that matchup. I like the idea of that matchup. Nico Collins with Xavier Howard. Just kind of take away, because Collins is the next highest receiver in terms of targets. Just take him out of the game with one player. I think X can do that. And then at this in the slot position against Brandon Cooks, double it. Double the heck out of it. Conley on Jones. X on uh, Collins. And then with Chris Moore, Amendola, Anthony Miller, there's so many guys that have so many snaps here, but we'll figure that out as we go along. Those are the three matchups I'm most concerned about. And then also with Jordan Akins, just I'm not really sure on that one. Maybe it's a, a, a safety matchup and you just try to reroute him early and live with underneath stuff. But I really do like those matchups there for Miami. Now, before the ball gets into the air, it's always important to win the matchup up front, right? So the Texans offensive line, the Dolphins defensive line, and they're down some dudes. You're not going to see Larry Tunzel. He's on injured reserve. No Justin Britt, their starting center, and no Marcus Cannon, who has played spot duty there for them a little bit. But the pressures allowed by the projected stars on Sunday are as follows. Charlie Heck, eight pressures on 167 pass blocking reps. Max Sharping, 15 pressures on 284. Justin McCray, six on 117. Jaron Christian uh, Sr., four on 170. And Tyus Howard, 16 on 307. But 14 of those for Howard are hurries. He's the by far the best healthy lineman on that offensive line right now. Uh, 81 pressures allowed in total. A banged up group. 
Can Miami capitalize on that? They need to pressure this quarterback. And Howard's the most proven, most accomplished this season. He's been really solid since really weeks two, where he allowed four pressures in the first two games each, eight total. But since that time in six games, just eight pressures allowed. And that's Ogba's matchup. And you go back to some of the matchups where he did get beat a little bit. Jacksonville with Dwayne Smoot or Josh Allen and those guys' ability to kind of convert those speed to power moves and the heavy handed ends. I really think that's something to keep an eye on here. If Ogba can kind of get similar production, he's been doing it all season long so far with pressure production, batting the ball down the line, run defense, keeping a big eye on that matchup. And if they can't handle that, that's going to open up so much other stuff for this Dolphins front because inside with all the games that Miami runs, all the depth they have and the ability to rotate bodies up front could help keep them fresh while dialing up that pressure look. But it's another new offensive line combination for Houston ahead of rookie quarterback. And it would seem to me you want to kind of test that communication. And with Christian and Adams' quickness off the snap and Raekwon and Zach's pure strength and power at the point, I I like that matchup a lot. And this also incorporates the linebackers, which brings us to our final matchup on this side of the football. Houston running backs and Dolphins linebackers first. Houston's averaging just 3.3 yards per carry, and no gap has a better average than 3.9 yards per carry, which is off right tackle, Tyus Howard again. So Miami needs to needs their linebackers to really fit the run this week and do the same job, do the job in the same way the defensive line does. Set up those third and long plays and get those big play opportunities. I think this is a great chance for Miami's defense to get healthy in that regard with some of the sacks and the pressures that lead to turnovers. It's such a focus for me this week. Now, the Texans use a bevy of running backs. Mark Ingram no longer there back in New Orleans, which, by the way, thank science for that fact because the fact that he is back there gives us the pairing of Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram at joint press conferences, which is the best thing ever. But David Johnson, Rex Burkhead, and Philip Lindsay all get work. This is what I'm talking about. This, the construction of this team is just so unique in terms of the different, like, these guys are not the same player, obviously, but they're they're somewhat interchangeable, and there's not like a young guy and a veteran. It's just three guys you know from the last five or six years of the National Football League that all found their way to Houston. Johnson will flex out and run receiver routes. We know that about him from his days in Arizona. Not the same player he was then, but he can still be productive that way. It's so imperative that whether it's Baker, Baker or Riley, and Baker talked about being day-to-day in his press conference on Wednesday, it's so imperative that they can handle those receiver routes from David Johnson because you can't double that route and still have success elsewhere, in my opinion. So important that those guys can handle that one-on-one matchup. And if it's blitzing more, like, like I talked about earlier, does Sam McGuavin get an increased role? I think he would in that instance. Uh, Rex Burke has a pass receiver. That's kind of his game. Continue to find a way to cover him without committing, you know, really integral parts of the perimeter coverage or the safety coverage on that back. And then Philip Lindsay, my note on him was just, you have to slice him. You have to cut him down before he can get that one cut slashing style that he does. Because once he gets to that second level, he becomes very difficult to tackle at that point. So don't let him open it up. As far as this Texans offense deployment goes, uh, pretty standard, 57% out of 11 personnel, 26% out of 12 personnel. That's one back, two tight ends. So they will use that Farrell Brown, Jordan Aikens tight end package. And then they do run 8% out of 13 personnel, which of course is one back, three tight ends. On the other side of the football, Dolphins quarterback versus Texans safeties. First off, Lovey Smith is a defensive coordinator. You know what that means. Tampa 2 coverage all day. Do you know what Tampa 2 means? It means you have two high safeties who basically play cover 2, where they both take a half, a deep half, and then you have a middle linebacker that runs the pipe down the middle of the scheme, of the field in the scheme. And that's been really his scheme since I was in junior high. I'm <laughs> thinking back to those early Bears days. 
And that's what the Texans run. So for Tua, he needs to be very sharp identifying the times that they come out of it. If they roll the coverage, maybe they invert the two. Inverted two is where your safeties come up and play the short stuff and the cornerbacks get depth to play the deep half. All of that stuff they can do out of that package. Tua needs to focus on the safeties because those guys will tell you where the coverage is going to go. And it also typically means that there are opportunities in the middle of the field. More on that in the next segment here. Justin Reed is one of the best Texans players for my money, maybe even the best. He's limited completions to just 11 for 17, which sounds like a lot, but look at other safeties numbers. It's not. It's a good number. He's rangy, very smart player who can come down and play on the line of scrimmage as well. Got a nose for the football, two picks this year. You must account for him in those robber roles. If, he, if they disguise their two and play one and he comes down and robs those crossers, you have to watch for that to uh, be very aware of number 20. And then uh, also the ability to go over the top of routes. Like think about the Durham Smythe pick a couple weeks ago back in the Atlanta game. He can make those kind of plays too. So just keep an eye on number 20 pre-snap. And from tape, it looks to me like he's kind of the key to the disguise of their defense. So again, just keep your eye on that guy. Lonnie Johnson, might remember that name from the draft a couple of years ago, is a converted corner who plays some safety with uh, Justin Reed as well. He's got three picks himself. Now, the duo combined has allowed seven total touchdowns, so it's big plays, like big risk, big reward for those guys, right? Who can make more big plays? But back to our point about Tampa 2, that's a tight end scheme, and you at least need to have a seam buster who can take advantage of that. So with the Dolphins receivers and tight ends versus the Houston Texans cornerbacks slash linebackers and safeties and coverage, who will match up with Mike Gesicki? Mike's been making big plays really for a, a solid five-week stretch now. He's been catching tons of balls. That's got to be their focus in this game, and I think it'll be interesting if they ask their linebacker to run the pipe with them. Do you want to do that? You sure about that's why? Those, to me, are some of Tua's best throws. Those over-the-top quick pops down the middle. So I'm really intrigued to see how that plays out in this matchup. For instance, Kamu Gruje-Hill, we know who he is, was in coverage on eight targets last week, and five of those came against Robert Woods or Cooper Cup. If you get Jalen Waddell on a linebacker, for instance, it's probably where the ball should go. Those guys caught four or five targets for 107 yards and a touchdown when Gruje-Hill was in coverage. Might be something to look at. So as I look at that with the scheme, it makes me think about some of those in-breaking routes Miami's had success on. Square ins, digs, slants, uh, some of the crossers that get hit early in that first window. That might be an area to go after. Now, as far as the cornerbacks go, Desmond King was kind of the main dude on the outside for them, but he was a healthy scratch last week for disciplinary actions. A couple weeks ago, DeAndre Hopkins was his primary target, and he caught all four of his targets on Desmond King a couple weeks ago. King's a zone cornerback in this zone scheme, so you can see why that makes sense. And in that game, Zach Ertz matched up on uh, Justin Reed, Kamu Grugier-Hill, and Christian Kirk, and he on four targets, he caught three balls for 66 yards and a touchdown. So again, if that's what Mike sees, if that's what Mike Kosicki gets, I have to believe the ball goes towards number 88 quite a bit. And then Vernon Hargraves was a, a 97% snap taker a week ago, just got released. Interesting dynamic there. Terrence Mitchell plays about the same number there, snaps that Hargraves did, and so does Tavier Thomas, who played roughly the same workload there. But will King be back out there? I have to imagine he is in place of Vernon Hargraves. But it's hard to say. I mean, on the perimeter for these guys, it's more size and strength and length and kind of disrupt at the, at the line of scrimmage and then turn them free and get your eyes back on the quarterback. So for Miami, kind of working on that cover two or two-man type of defense, they typically play the disrupt and then get depth. And it sounds like King will be back. But in his own base defense, it's kind of hard to paint the matchups here. So for Tua, be on time, be in rhythm, be sharp with their decisions, 
and locate number 20. Those are my suggestions. Now up front, Miami's offensive line versus Houston's defensive line. They just traded Charles Amenahu, who I loved coming out of the draft a couple years back out of Texas. He led the team with 16 quarterback pressures. He's now gone. Malik Collins on the interior defensive line leads the team now with 15 quarterback pressures. Jacob Martin, 14. Jonathan Grenard and Demarcus Walker both have 13 apiece as well up front. They don't bring a ton of pressure. So Collins will test you inside. He's kind of a squatty body, low to the ground, six foot two, 310 pounds, plays with a great pad level. So it's imperative to try to be the low man and kind of dig him out. Always make sure you get your hands inside. Don't get him outside. Get him inside on that guy. Otherwise, he will control the rep and get a flag on you. No pressures against the Rams, Pats, or Browns, but he had three or more against the Cardinals, Bills, Panthers, and Jaguars. So can you find a way to contain Malik Collins? Would go a long way towards keeping the pocket clean for your quarterback and maybe give us a chance to attack vertically in this football game. Jacob Martin, opposite deal. He's long. He's he's a little more thin and can get at you with some speed. Uh, and he has that really good bend off the edge that you love to see uh, as, far, as far as four-man pressures go. But something to keep an eye on here, the Dolphins line had a really good week to, uh, two-week stretch there with Atlanta and Jacksonville. Then a tougher game last week against the Buffalo Bills. Keep an eye on this matchup to see if they can get back to it. Uh, being at home, I think, certainly helps. No more crowd noise to deal with. And obviously not as complex as the system that Sean McDermott has put together over the course of four or five years there in Buffalo. New defense there in Houston as they kind of rebuild that thing under Lovey Smith. Dolphins running backs versus Texans linebackers. Christian Kirksey is a fantastic tackler. If you don't get him erased in the running game with blockers and chips and climbs, it's tough for the back to do it. But again, one of Miami's strong points in the running game, I think, this year has been some of those doubles, some duo action, and climbing up to that second level. So hopefully we can see some of that from Jackson, Ryder, and Robert Hunt inside. Zach Cunningham's the speed merchant of the group. He doesn't rush. Actually, none of these guys ever rush. We'll talk about that here in just one second. He'll play some coverage. I'll be curious to find out if they can get some backs matched up and flexed out wide because that can kind of stress their defense by displacing that middle linebacker out wide, and that can create some of that space inside against that cover too for some free releases and some quick pops on your interior receivers. And it doesn't hurt to just to try it, see how they react. Maybe you get a, a bit of discommunic- or discombobulation and miscommunication out of it when you try that. And Miles Gaskin can certainly run routes from the number one receiver position all the way out wide. And again, they just don't use these backers to rush the quarterback. Just 16 pass rush reps for Kirksey, only 10 for Cunningham, and 12 for Kamu, who we saw do it with some success last year here in Miami. So coverage and run fits, they're sound tacklers. Again, can we find a way to get them out of the box? That's the challenge. That's the matchup you want, in my opinion. As far as special teams go, Houston's 23rd in DVOA, Miami's 29th. Their punter, Cameron Johnson, 46.8 yards per punt. Kaimi Fairbairn's three for five this year with a miss from 50 plus, as well as one in the 40 to 49 range. Not much of a return game there, so Mike, Michael Pilardi and the punt team here can maybe get some flipped fields for you here, as John Conjembe loves to tell us about getting long fields. But uh, Desmond King had a 20-yarder this year, an average of 12.8 yards per, per return on four returns this season. Andrew Roberts has 33 yards on eight returns with a long of 11. So those are your position-by-position matchups. I have the Dolphins will win if they exploit the middle of the field on offense and if they can heat up Davis Mills and create some splash plays on defense. And the Texans will win if Miami beats themselves and puts themselves behind the chains, gets some bad fouls on defense, misses some tackles on third down. Just don't beat yourself, Miami. Play your best football game of the season, and you should be able to come away with this with a victory. We've got to get the best game of the season here, here soon. Hopefully, 
it's this week. My three keys, splash plays on defense, 12% interception slash sack rate. That's more than six such plays a game. Force the issue and capitalize. Number two, locate Brandon Cooks every single snap, 69 targets. The next closest has 24. Take it, take, Look at Brandon Cooks and try and take him out of the football game. Number three, feed Mike Gesicki. The scheme asked for it. They're going to put backers on him. Go after your big play tight end. My Thursday night football pick this week, and just so you know, I'm not even going to talk about my record last week. It was atrocious. We'll come back to it tomorrow. But Colts over the Jets, that's the pick. That's the podcast. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the Dolphins at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast with Seth and OJ Sean Smith on this week. The YouTube channel for our media availabilities and Dolphins Today. And, of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Caroline, daddy's coming home.